Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Secrets to Selling Your Business, the podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners looking to unlock the secrets behind successful business transitions. Join our host, Jacob Koenig, a partner at Woodbridge International, as he gives you the knowledge to navigate complexities, embrace strategic shifts, and prepare you to sell your business with no regrets. At Woodbridge, we know how to give you the wisdom to achieve your ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Jacob Koenig. All right, welcome to the show. I'm excited to welcome Brian Clayton, the CEO and founder of GreenPal, an innovative online marketplace dubbed the Uber for Lawn Care by Entrepreneur Magazine. Before GreenPal, Brian birthed Peachtree Inc., one of Tennessee's landscaping giants, which had over $10 million in annual revenue at the time of its acquisition in 2013. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. Jacob, it's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, Brian, can we start with uh, with maybe back in, in time a little bit? If you could please share a bit of your, your journey from Peachtree to founding GreenPal and, uh, and the inspiration behind creating an, an Uber for lawn care platform. Yeah. So uh, I started mowing yards in high school as a way to make extra cash. I was actually forced into into the business by my dad. He got tired of watching me play Nintendo all day. And he said, hey, get off your butt. I lined up the neighbor's yard. is gonna The neighbor's going to pay you to mow his yard. And so <laughs> luckily he did that because I got hooked on the lawn mowing business at a young age and stuck with that little business all through high school and all through college. And then like over about a 15 year period of time, built that into a real business. About 150 employees ended up getting it over 10 million a year in revenue. And then in 2013, it was acquired by a national company in the industry. You wouldn't think there's little landscaping companies with thousands of employees, but, but there there are a couple in the, in the in the country and one of them bought the business. And after that, I took some time off. I kind of got bored with my life and thought, what am I going to do now? I, mm. I, I, I thought it'd be cool to Sort of tech company, maybe I could do that. And it was kind of, I was kind of naive to how challenging it was going to be. But I thought the idea for GreenPal could work. I thought right. that uh, that eventually, you know, everything would be like Uber, where you could push a button and magic happened. And I thought, well, why can't that happen in the lawn care business? I know the industry very well, and somebody's going to build it. Why not me? And so I recruited two co-founders and started working on the idea for an app should exist. Uh, you should be able to hire a lawn mowing service as easy as ordering an Uber. And now, ten years in. GreenPal is a 10-year overnight success. Well, my two co-founders and I have been at this for a little over a decade, and, and we're nationwide in the United States, around 300,000 people using it. Wow. And we just got here little by little, just setting yeah. little small goals and and uh, never giving up. <laughs> it's how we got from where we are today. <laughs> Excellent. And and I have to say, I, I am one of those 300,000. I uh, I signed up. I'll have my first uh, appointment this this week on Thursday. So I'm excited awesome. to, uh, to try it out. For me, it was it was really the electronic payment side of things that that got me onto it. I, I think uh, we were talking before 
the industry is kind of stuck in uh, in the 90s. Man, most of it runs on pen and pad, and you know some some guys will 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 take uh, they'll take Venmo maybe or PayPal, but even then, like just getting them to bill you on time and getting them to bill you the correct amount is more trouble than it should be. It it should be as easy as you know ordering Chinese on DoorDash or your groceries on Instacart. That's the world we live in today in 2023, and and that's that's we're we're set out to to bring this offline very traditional type of business bring it online bring it into the 20 21st century excellent what leadership qualities do you think contributed to the growth of, of Peachtree and green pal you know and, and more specifically you know, how do you scale user experiences as the number of users increase yeah you know as far as leadership man yeah. nobody teaches us how to be a leader nobody teaches us how to be a good uh, how, how to how to be a good leader what our leadership style might be what the difference between leadership and management is and and we kind of have to learn these things on our own just through trial and error and and, and that's how i experienced it I, I did leadership very very wrong and poorly for many many years until i realized that i that leadership is really servitude that it is you really have to care about the people that that are working on the mission with you that you really have to give a crap about the what the mission of the company is that that the culture and and the enthusiasm level of the people that work for you reflects your enthusiasm and and uh and so starting a business and 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 trying to hire and, and grow it with 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 layering on employees is one of the best is one of the best growth experiments you can do with your life mm-hmm. it, it, it can cause you to to learn and evolve in ways that you never would have otherwise and so that's how i experienced it i i, I did it wrong for about five years and then started uh reading every book i could get my hands on read a lot of john maxwell stuff and and uh built a Built a really good culture at my first company, Peachtree. And then after I sold it, I kind of had to start all over again, but at least I had my style. At least I knew what how I what mistakes I wanted to to avoid on the second go around. And and I didn't do it perfect, but but uh, we have a team of forty-three people now. And I think authenticity can be a competitive mm-hmm. advantage when it comes to leading. Like, have you been there? Have you done it? Are you rolling up your sleeves? You know, like Elon Musk, are you sleeping on the floor of the of the of the factory? I, yep. You know, that's how I would try try to like characterize my style and and how I try to hold myself accountable to to authentically give a crap about what we're doing and and actually do the stuff that we're doing. Absolutely. Uh, that sounds great. And with with two companies started and uh, that makes you a serial entrepreneur. Well, you know, the first one and the second one were in the same kind of world industry, mm-hmm. but man, they were really different. It, it, you know, that's that was one of the mistakes I made when I started GreenPal is mm-hmm. I had just built and sold this eight-figure business. So here I am thinking that I know a lot about how to get a business going. And man, I was confronted with the reality of I didn't know a damn thing about how to start a tech company. And and it was like, it was really like starting all over again. It was really like my first business all over again. I, I had to start from scratch, I had to learn how to build software and all of this stuff that I had no clue about. So uh, in many ways, it was like two companies for the first time. You know, it's, it's yeah. like, what's the, the biggest challenge uh, in starting a tech company versus um, starting Peachtree? Yeah, there's a lot of things that are harder, a lot of things that are easier. So yeah. um, some things that are easier are, you know, with with, uh, with Peachtree, it was very people-driven. It was very uh, managing labor. It was, uh, it, was it, it was in a way, very traditional. And so a lot of times you could build systems and processes, but you would be dealing with the same problems right. day in, day out, and just beating your head against the wall, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to like prevent that from happening. And a lot of times it was just the management of those problems and a lot of redundancy. And any business owner listening to this can, can relate. It's like, yep, you know, I have to tell my... Absolutely. My, my, my same five employees to do the same five things every day. 
day and it's like i can't figure out how to eliminate that problem so it was it was a lot of that but the, the good thing about a software business is when you're working on software does what you tell it to do and if you do it if you build it correctly it does it reliably all the time and so that's one of the good things one of the challenging things is is that most of the time when you're when you're working in the software world and you're bringing a new piece of technology to market you are inventing a brand new product from scratch that does not exist Right. Nobody, nobody knows about it. Nobody knows to use it. Nobody even knows it exists. Mm-hmm. And you have to like overcome all of these things. You have to uh, make the playbook up as you go, and basically just go from one failure to the next without without a loss of enthusiasm, and 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 just try to trial and error, experiment yeah. your way to success. And and uh, that was the challenging thing about starting GreenPal that mm-hmm. nobody told me about. Like it's like, hey, you're inventing a new product. Nobody knows. Yeah. You. Nobody knows it exists. That's a lot harder than than a traditional business, which is in and of itself pretty damn hard to begin with indeed and certainly you know this is the secrets to selling your business podcast so i'm gonna have to ask you um you know peach tree was acquired after after some impressive growth i'd, I'd love to hear a bit um about the strategies that you employed in that transition yeah they people say that uh great businesses are bought not sold that's also great slogan great saying but <laughs> but it's not how i experienced it <laughs> yeah. uh it, you know it, you know maybe if you built you know instagram or something like that that business was bought it wasn't sold but you ain't instagram you know you you you've got a very traditional uh business at least i'm talking to myself that was weighted by gravity and and, and so like i had to proactively sell the company i didn't really build it to sell and so ideally you 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 set off on a strategy like a five or a ten year plan and you work backwards from what the end goal is you know the one of my favorite quotes is begin with the end in mind and ideally you say okay in five years and ten years i want to i want to have an exit and and what does that exit look like and then what what kind of numbers does the business need to have to get there and how do i work backwards from that that is not what I did. I was running the business as a lifestyle business. It was very much one that I enjoyed running and mm. and I thought that I was going to have it for all my life and maybe yeah. give it to my children one day. But something happened in year, I don't know, 13 or 14. I started to get like unsettled. I, I wasn't growing uh, alongside the business anymore. You know, if if you're doing a business correctly, uh, you should evolve into a whole new person every year or two. And uh, that's one of the things I think like I was enjoying about the journey that I wasn't getting anymore. I had kind of yeah. Plateaued from a personal growth uh, standpoint, and that weighed on me, and something was bothering me, and like, and I thought, man, I think it's because this isn't challenging me anymore, and and I'm and I'm not growing and evolving anymore. And I thought, well, maybe it's time to create the space for me to do the next, thing. and maybe I should sell this thing. And I thought, well, okay, I'll get all my books together and I'll have it sold in six months. Man, it was yeah. over two years. <laughs> wow. And it was a lot of reverse engineering things yeah. into the business that needed to go into the business that weren't there. It was, right. it was, there was a lot of hiring people that I didn't have mm. uh, key systems and processes, a lot of accounting cleanup. I yeah. uh, had to get my books in, in gap accounting, which they weren't. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was hard. And there's a good book about this called Built to Sell huh. that that uh, I recommend that kind of walks you through this. And so if you think if if you're running a small business and you and you're thinking maybe I might sell it one day, yeah. make that decision today and 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 then make a plan and work the process, work the plan. Right. I really like that. You know, starting with the end in mind. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Certainly, that that's something that we do at Woodbridge. We're always very focused on timeline. You know, for yeah. uh, Whenever we engage a buyer and we have an LOI signed, we we have a close date that's uh, that's set, and we keep that sacrosanct. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and, and and that's great. Uh, maybe if, if as a founder, it would behoove a founder to do the same thing. Say, yeah. in five years on this day, I'm going to have the business sold, and and then work backwards from that. Yeah. I mean, that's motivating. And if you don't have that, then you yeah. you, you operate a lot sloppier. You 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 mm. you make decisions you otherwise wouldn't have made. And that was that was how I ran my business. The yeah. way you run a business to as a lifestyle business versus the way you run it to sell are very very different. For sure. And it's important to know the difference between the two styles. And in your experience, what did you find to be the most challenging? You know, you mentioned getting the books in order, getting changing accounting into the into gap, uh, hiring key people. Um, which among those was uh, was sort of the longest pole in the tent? Yeah, it was probably the accounting. The, the accounting was mm-hmm. not tight. Um, yeah. It was just good enough to know, you know, if we were making money or not, and it was good enough to to track all of our expenses and income. But the the thing about the the company was we had like three divisions uh, mm-hmm. that that we managed everything, and they all shared kind of books and they commingled across each other, and this created a nightmare of a of a mess that we had to clean up and spend about a hundred grand. And, and, and CPA bills um, and, and over the last year yeah. to get cleaned up. You know, the big mistake I made was was not engaging a CPA in like five years before I was going to sell it. You know, ideally I would have had a, a CPA that I was spending ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year with and would have kept everything just as clean and, and nailed down as possible. So then when I wanted to sell the company, I could just push print. Yeah. But that, that's not how it happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, it cost me a lot of time, a lot of sleepless nights and probably cost me quite a bit in terms of eventual outcome. Although the outcome yeah. was good and, and it was right. it was fair and it was what I wanted, but right. it probably cost me there too. The other thing that was difficult was like I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, when you when you when you run a business like a lifestyle business like that, there's things that you do because you're proud of the business. You 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 uh you have a certain style in the way that you run it that isn't the same as managing from the spreadsheet. Yeah. And and, and an example of that might be you know for example uh, we had a belief in running that company that our facility uh, needed to be pristine. Our shop needed to be pristine. You know, we would stripe the parking lot once a year. We would paint the fence. We would repolish the floor in the shop. Right. We had like a uh, a 15,000 square foot facility that looked like a Ferrari dealership. It was so neat and organized. And, and that was a belief, a cultural thing that I, as the founder, wanted to instill in the in the company and in my people that when, when they leave and they come back, there's order. Could I tell you the ROI on all of those efforts and 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 how much money I was making off of all that? No. I just, it was one of those things that was, I, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. Yeah. We probably spent, you know, one of the five years that they that we you know we, we ended up selling for an average of five years of EBITDA and mm. and one of the years we probably spent I don't know 80 90 grand you know o- overhauling the facility and sure. and then maybe another 10 20 30 grand maintaining everything we had a we had a full-time porter anyway this yeah. is a long-term answer to tell you that like those decisions that were avoidable mm. you know ended up costing me several hundred thousand dollars at sale right right because you take all of those those discretionary things and you times it by whatever yeah. five six seven or eight, sure. that's what it costs you at sales. So, yeah. so my point is like every expense that you can't avoid mm-hmm. and still service your customers for the last three to four years, you need to avoid it. Because it's going to cost you that times five, right. seven, or eight at sale. Nobody told me that. <laughs> right. 
Well, at the same time, you have to still be building the company and, and running it, uh, you know, so that when you do hand over the reins, that, that the person who's buying it isn't uh, isn't having to cover expenses that were That's missed. That's right. right. You can't, That's, now, there can't be the balance. Yeah. There can't be like deferred maintenance. There right. can't be, but you do need to manage from the spreadsheet. Right. Yeah. Every every dime needs to be exactly yeah. needs to be examined. Every, every dime needs to be put under a microscope and it, and you need to know like what the ROI is on the money you're spending and, and what yeah. and what is discretionary and what is. Right. And, and you talked about, um, you know, the difficulty with the counting and going back, changing the numbers. And, and certainly that can be a bit of a, an emotional roller coaster, I think, for a lot of, of business owners, especially if you have a, a number in mind based off of uh, the numbers that you had. And then it exactly. comes out that you have to reevaluate the whole the whole stack. Exactly. Did you have any experience with, with that? Yes. And and there was a lot of retrading uh, yeah. all the way up until the very end uh, because of things like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, we, we feel like uh, the cutoff was this and it should have been this or 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 we feel like uh what are some things that we argued about you know that there were some pieces of the accounting that that i felt like were were bulletproof but they would mm-hmm. they would shoot holes in it and that could have been a, a a negotiating tactic and these these guys were really good at what they did you know they they had sure. built up a, a conglomerate about 20 of these companies that mm-hmm. were my size and they had done this many many times before this is the yep. first and only time i'd ever done it in my life yep. so <laughs> that's the other thing is like when you get when you get ready to sell your company you need to be prepared to go to war and with a with an enemy that, and i hate to make it adversarial but yeah. but, but, but with somebody who's been around the block you better be prepared you you better have all your ducks in a row don't mm-hmm. attempt to do it otherwise and so yeah that that was probably one of the biggest things and uh the other thing the other thing is is like when you get it when you're in a service-based business like that you 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 get this distorted kind of perception of what success is and what it isn't and and for me like i spent many years like just buying equipment and and like i was proud that we had 90 trucks going out every day and and uh i was proud that we had like the late model vehicles and Mm -hmm. and that we had the the name brand lawnmowers and stuff and the reality is your customers don't don't care about that stuff and and an acquirer sure doesn't they don't care right. about how much assets you've accumulated yeah. They only care about how profitable the business is, and and yeah. so I wish somebody had slapped me around about year ten or eleven and, and told me that. Right? Yeah. The difference between selling a company in, in bankruptcy, where you're just trying to liquidate the assets, then when the asset value really matters, versus right selling a company that's an ongoing concern that's generating revenue, generating profits. Then it's a matter of how the cash flow is is uh, is coming along. Exactly. And 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 the assets are just need to be perfectly sized to right. whatever's needed to to do that. And and they. They don't care how great the facility, the headquarters looks. They don't care, mm-hmm. you know, what model the vehicles are, so long as they're suitable to to do what you got to do. Whereas, if you're running a lifestyle business, those things do matter, and so that's what's where there's a divergence in the in the styles of small business. Excellent. Uh, I think that's uh, that's very insightful and and definitely going to be uh, useful for for any entrepreneurs or business owner thinking about a potential exit. And I'd be I'd be keen to hear a bit more about sort of your your passion for entrepreneurship and and how did that drive you uh, through challenges and, and what motivated you to persevere, especially when uh, when facing setbacks? Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's the last 22 years. Yeah. You know, two businesses, man, it's like it's like a roller coaster. And, and anybody that's that's building a company knows that. And see, like 2008, we almost went bankrupt and that, that was that was really hard. Um, but, the, but one thing that makes sense looking back in the last two decades for me is it's almost like it, if you look at it as like a, a, a movie 
and you are the main character and you're going through these ups and downs, like, would that be an interesting movie that you would want to watch? Right. And the business can be the storyline to that movie. It can be the thing that causes the, 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 the story to be interesting. And then there's a book that I like called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. And one of the things mm. he talks about in that book is to live an interesting life, you have to live an interesting story. And for me, my business is the storyline to my life. And so a lot of the things that like, you know, that were challenges is what makes the story interesting, is what made it appealing in a way. And the weird thing is, is that every single time I was going through a challenge, every time I, I was like, all, you know, had had my back against the wall, three, four, five years later, I was always glad that that certain thing happened right. because that was the thing that caused me to take the business down to the studs or that mm. was the thing that caused me to to fix a key thing that I knew was broken, but I didn't have the the, the guts to fix it. Right. And so it's like, you're always glad these things happen because it, it mm. makes you a better entrepreneur. It forces you to build yeah. a better company. And so that's, that's how, that's how I experienced. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. And, and frankly, we always go through with our clients before we, we go to market and look at those types of experiences, what have yeah. you learned and, and how, it, you know, the building that narrative of the story of the business and yeah. how it has become what it is today. That's always something that, you know, helps around the margins when you're, when you're looking at, at buyers and buyers are looking at your company to, to say, okay, yeah, this, this makes sense. I see exactly how it, how it arrived at where it is. Um, yeah, exactly. People like a storyline and, and uh, you know, buyers are, are, are driven by the spreadsheet, but that story does help as well. And what's the most valuable advice you'd give to uh, any aspiring entrepreneurs out there? It's like, it just depends on what week you ask me. Cause I'm always, I'm always, uh, I'm always like gravitating towards a new mantra or quote or philosophy. And I guess what's on top of mind now is, is like build once, sell twice. And so if you, if you're in the small, in a small business, you, you know, and you feel like you're in a rat race or you feel like you're on a hamster wheel and not getting anywhere, figure out ways you can build a system, a process that you can then repeat and sell over and over and over again, a repeatable process. If if you don't have that, then then you probably don't have a business. You're probably just self-employed. And and that's okay. It's okay to be self-employed, but if you really want to have a business, you have to get into this mindset of, of how do you build once, sell twice. And even if like you're in a service business like I have like I like I've always been, it's figuring out a way to create the system that that repeat re- repeatedly like delivers that service consistently. Um so that's that's the advice that I have top of mind this week, I guess you say. Great. And so then what's on the horizon for GreenPal? Anything uh, developments or otherwise plans you could share? You know, we're a decade in and it, 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 like to use Jeff Bezos quote, it still feels like day one. It, it right. really is day one for us. You know, we're doing uh, $30 million a year in revenue, but we got to get to a hundred million. Uh, we got to get to a million users uh, right. and we want to be in the kind of the lexicon of the English language, like a DoorDash, an Instacart, an Uber, an Airbnb. We want to be in the same kind of like cohort as, as, as those other companies. And, and so, we're just going to keep doing more of what we're good at. We're, we're the best solution in, in the yeah. country for hiring a basic lawn mowing service. And, and there's a lot more white space. It's a $99 billion industry that we're, we're tackling. Yeah, I can, I can attest to that. <laughs> Excellent. So that, that was all the questions that I had prepared for us here today. Is, is there anything else that um, we haven't touched on that you'd like to uh, explore further? You know, I think uh, if, if, if the audience listening is, is aspiring business owners or, or maybe they're thinking about, they have a business or thinking about selling it, you know, I, I, I think no matter what, what stage of the game you're in, I think in, in 
the intensity in which you bring to the business can be the strategy. Intensity is the strategy. And and I think a lot of business owners really want to look at the business as, as like a job. And and the reality is, is it's like, it's a full contact sport. It's seven days a week. And I think that to, to build and sell a company, your friends and family should describe you as an animal. Like like that that person is like a rabid yeah. dog to, to get this thing going, to, to make it happen. And, and that's that's the way it's always been for me. And, it, you know, anytime that you're lost in this journey, every time I've ever been lost, if I just picked up the phone and called 10 customers, I would like almost always find the answer. If, if, you, if you find yourself stuck or lost on your journey, just pick up the phone or email or, or text message and contact 10 or 20 customers. How are we doing? Or why don't you yeah. use this anymore? And, and just let it go from there. I promise you, you'll find the answer. Perfect. Excellent. Well, with that, I think um, we can call it a, a, a wrap. Brian Clayton, CEO, founder of Green Pals, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jacob. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of Secrets to Selling Your Business, the podcast for entrepreneurs and business owners looking to unlock the secrets behind successful business transitions. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guest and their insights. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.